Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. G'day, Ron. How are you going? I love that uh, intro music. It's me pumped and fired for another 40 odd minutes talking property with a couple of guys that know nothing about it. Steve Waters <laughs> and Victor Kumar from the Right Property Group. Gentlemen, how are you going? You're well, my co hosts. Well, it was pretty good up until that introduction. The sledging started really early. Yeah, I know. It's a, well, it's not sledging. It must be the weather. We're coming off the back of the cricket, right? Which is uh, the, the Aussies over in the UK. And I don't want to talk about cricket, so I don't know anything about it. But, you know, sledging is a big part of that. And I think it's a great part of the Australian uh, camaraderie that we can give each other a hard time when required. Particularly around but I knew this was going to happen. I could tell yeah. by the look on his face before we even started. <laughs> yeah. He's got yeah. his piccolo or his strong flat white with That's cold nice. milk. It's, it's a, mate, I'm a simple man. It's a long black with cold milk. It simple is. Mm. It's got a coffee. It's got international roast in there and uh, and the cheapest home brand milk I could find. That, that's the you know what, that, that's that, the illusion you love to give off, but that's actually not quite the truth. But that's what, <laughs> what keeps me a great property investor. I watch every dollar and cent so I can make sure I'll invest all in wealth creation for the future. Did you know that you bought our coffees? Did I? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not watching closely enough. <laughs> it's all right, but anyway, um, it's not about coffee, even though there is a diversity of uh, different beans that make a different coffee, much like a property investment property, uh, you know, diversification, mix it up, make sure uh, you can have different flavours of different coffee at different times, just like a good property portfolio, Stephen. Isn't that true? It is. I'm shaking my head. That was <laughs> that's rubbish. <laughs> it's true though. But we'll know, go with it. We'll go with it. No, um, we chat about a lot on investing insights of the right property group, and uh, and it's what you guys do for a living. The work you do with property investors right across Australia is, you know, you're just not buyers agents. And I, I say that in inverted commas. And we're filming today, and I'm buyers agent. It's about property strategy, right? You guys are property strategists, so working out why people are investing in property, how they need to do it based on their circumstances. And every single person you speak to that invests in property is different, right? The common thread with all property investors is that they buy property, but that's pretty much where it starts and ends. So I think a good opportunity for us today to have a chat about um, maybe understanding where you fit within that sort of framework, that you are an individual as a property investor. So that means the way you see the world and the way that you fit within property investment is very different from everyone else. So, you know, for example, um, you know, my view of affordability versus your view of affordability versus your view of affordability, Victor, are all very different. It's probably very different to other people as well. So, you know, I think one of the common misconceptions or myths around property investment is that affordable means cheap. It's the number one misconception, 100%. And that's not what it is. So I want to break that down today and get your insight into that. And more so not from a, hey, here's some facts, aren't we bright and clever people? This is about understanding or filtering your own relationship with property and your view on property and your strategy and property with that view in mind. I think if you can take that away from today, that'll be really good. So Victor, I know um, affordable, and we'll go back to the point, affordable means it's cheap property and therefore deemed to be sometimes not very good property versus blue chip property and blue chip property is deemed to be expensive property. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. every single capital city is different. So affordable in one capital city, i.e. Sydney, where the median price now for property is just south of a million bucks versus Adelaide where, I'm going to pluck this number out of the air, it's got to be what, 550? How do they go with that? Pretty good? Pretty good. Pretty good? Yeah. So two different sources of affordability, twice the price, it's going to change the way you invest. Look, absolutely. I think um, one of the key things that people get wrong is as soon as they hear the word affordable, they equate it to cheap, mm. right? And and then uh, equating cheap to cheap and nasty as in the lowest price possible has got a little bit of an element of truth to it, but you need to, first of all, take a step back and say, okay, it needs to be affordable to the investor. 
in the sense that it needs to tie back into their financials. How much capital have they got? How much cash flow they've got? You know, their circumstances. So, as an example, Steve, uh, one of the key things, first things we ask is, is there any life changes about to happen? So, if they can afford a say million dollar home today, but they're going to lose their job tomorrow, and it, it is already flagged, and they're planning to start say a, a small business might not be an affordable property for them. 100%. Or if I even look at it from a different perspective. Hey, hey, sorry, I don't want to stop you, Steve, but is that a computer with information on it? Have you got some numbers no. there? No, no, I he's don't. A, he's actually watching Netflix while he's <laughs> <you're> talking. <laughs> <laughs> you, you throw me because, you know, I, I've never seen it before. Yeah. Right? And, <laughs> just just for the listener, what was supposed to happen is was after this, Phil and I were going to do a review on his portfolio. Okay. And as a result of that, I bought in all his numbers and, and everything like that because yeah. that's what we do. And- Phil forgot to confirm. Okay. And so I have a computer here full of nothing. Fun facts. Yeah, it just looks cool. Okay. Yeah. All right. No, sorry, sorry about that. Is that right? <laughs> no, no, no. You know, is it throwing your mojo? No, how's my affordability yeah, situation at the moment? Is it okay? Well, <laughs> when you get your loans through, and we'll talk about that then. Yeah. But I think, look, the other thing is that there's a lot of rhetoric within the media and, and commentary about what areas actually grow better. And there's some commentary around, well, it's got to be the, you know, the inner ring or the middle ring or, or whatever it may be. And let's just pick a price point of, I don't know, three quarters of a million dollars, $800,000, whatever it may be to make a good investment. And that's simply not true. But let's imagine if it was just for one second, if you can't afford to get into that market whatsoever, do you just sit back and wait long enough for you to create or save a deposit before you actually get into that market. And so potentially that, never get into it. Or potentially never get into mm. it. And it might be three, four, five years down the track. And as a result of that, the market's moved. So you're always chasing because mm. you're not going to be able to save enough to get into every market. So I think finding the markets that are affordable to your scenario is absolutely key. And that's never static, right? It's not like your affordability today is what your affordability is going to be in two years, five years, 10 years time, because 100%. as your relationship with property grows, you become more experienced, your appetite to risk. This metric of affordability is a moving scale up or down, you know, to Victor's point, if you're going to have life changes and you might go from two incomes to one income mm. or something else is happening, like it, it never stays the same. No, and it also ties in, not just from a capital point of view, but it also ties in from a cash flow point mm. of view, because typically the more the expensive the property, the lower the yield, the more out of your a household budget or your disposable income. But I think it's also very important to understand that you may start off in the affordable corridors of what's affordable to you, but that's as a base. And if that's all you ever do, that's awesome. But it can be a base to springboard you into the next tier mm-hmm. and so on, <laughs> so that eventually you actually become uh, and leverage yourself via capital and growth into perhaps those inner city areas or whatever So it's it hypothetical be. for you, just on that point, Stephen, I'm happy you brought it up, is that is your goal as a property investor to move up the affordability and inverted commas again ranks as in as you invest more in property, you should be trying to skewer more expensive properties because of the wealth creation effect of investing in property well? No, not necessarily. What it does is it exposes you to more opportunities and mm. different types of opportunities. And some of those opportunities to create that balanced portfolio might be around initially growth and cash flow, but as you become a little bit more sophisticated, so perhaps you could do smaller developments, you could invest in commercial, whatever that looks like to you at that point of time. But I just don't believe you should be all in on something that is potentially going to grow, but also potentially take a lot of money out of your hip pocket. I think I think we need to put it in perspective and let, let's take a step back and say, okay, what does an investment property really entail, right? The very first thing, obviously, is the ability to hold onto it in a high interest rate climate. 
So right now we had the cheapest interest rates ever in Australia. So pretty much people that were not able to get into the market that to the higher end are jumping in. And they're not taking into account that interest rates will actually go up. So when they do, can they still afford to hold on? Right? That's a good so, point. Yeah. Um, that's the very first thing we need to look at. The next thing we need to look at in, in terms of a property is what, what I keep talking about in every single podcast is the liquidity factor. Where if you went, went down the path of buying a property, is there a large ready market to buy it off you? In during the bad times, so during a GFC, during times of poor economic conditions, is there a large enough pool? So in other words, you don't buy the $2 million home, you may be buying the $1 million home because it's a lot more people that will buy it off you if you needed to sell. Then of course you need to look at how does this impact in terms of what are you trying to achieve? Are you trying to um, be like most uh, uneducated investors and, and focusing on the wrong end of the equation, which is the, the capital gain, whereas the reality should be you are still focusing the capital gain, but you're also taking a very strong, hard look at the ability to hold on. So both sides of the equation and they need to be balanced and hence a balanced approach towards the portfolio. So I'd like to think that I'm the biggest authority in affordable properties because I started off with four and a half thousand dollars, right? And for me, the two key factors that determined the affordability was the lack of capital. So therefore that reduced me to the lower price bracket and also the inability to hold a million dollar property back then because I didn't have that cash flow, I was still establishing myself in the country. So we need to look at that. And so therefore I started off with the lower price properties because it suited my financial circumstances back then. And I've built the baseline and leverage off the baseline into your higher end properties. There's no doubt that if the lower price properties, they grow by 10%, as opposed to a higher price property growing by 10%, you get more capital gain. But you also need to take into account to get that extra 10%, you are you know, chipping in a lot more in terms of weekly dollars into the property portfolio. <laughs> and, and for me, very similar, but I was more from a risk mitigation point of view. So. I needed to work out what was the worst case scenario. So let's say rents dropped by mm. 20% and, and rates went up by 3%. How would I feel at that point in time? And as a result of that, it did steer me into those more affordable corridors that had a higher cash flow. Still fundamentally correct. So I'm not talking about a one-trick pony town here. I'm still talking about metropolitan areas. Mm. That enabled me to be able to sleep at night, mm. knowing that in the worst case scenario, the cash flow was still going to be sufficient that I wasn't having to live on two-minute noodles to support my property habit. This whole concept of affordability is an interesting one because it means a whole bunch of different things. So affordability in the eye of the property investor, affordability in the eye of the renter, yep. affordability in the eye of the secondary market for that. So mm-hmm. who should buy this property at a point in time? Now, you know, affordable properties, it's got a bit of a, a negative stigma around it. And and I think Australia's relationship with affordable properties is still still in a, a process of, They're of thinking development. Cheap. Right? They're thinking yep. cheap. And it's not what it is. And, you know, the, the point I, I tried to make earlier was that, and, and you sort of, your story there, Victor, sort of alluded to it, is that you started off investing in properties at the lower end of the price spectrum, because at that point in time, that's what you could afford with you to build out a portfolio and create wealth over time. But you still invest in those same properties today. It's not like you've gone, oh, look at me, I've made my bucks and now I'm going to be buying Kiribati. blue chip, mm-hmm. blue chip properties. Yeah. You're still buying and you're still hunting those same assets in those same areas because the basic premise of why you're investing then and why you're investing there today is consistent. You mm-hmm. know, on paper and in practice, 
they're good investments. Look, they, they've stood the test of time, right? And and uh, just as uh, transparency, I do own high-end properties as well, mm. but they're supported by these grassroots properties. So this your pigeon yep. pairing stuff. That's right. right. Yeah, that's, that's the right. basis. Yep. That's mm. the whole basis of the strategy you know, that we employ. Mm. Call it pigeon pairing, call it portfolio management or, or balancing. That's where the gold is because there's nothing worse than being backed into a corner because you've got lack of cash flow across yep. your portfolio or, or lack of buffers that you're then forced to make perhaps, you know, uneducated decisions on mm. on what to do around that portfolio. And, and so liquidity being a key. Absolutely. Uh, and I'd also argue that Vic, in your portfolio, that pound for pound, those more affordable corridors or in, in your scenario actually give you over a 10-year measured timepiece a better return, all things being fair and equal, mm-hmm. than perhaps the higher, absolutely, the higher price yeah, property. Absolutely, so. yeah. And then also, much as I don't like the word blue chip, when you're looking at these affordable areas, you're then buying in the blue chip areas of that corridor, right? So it's not necessarily you're buying blue chip close to the city. Each suburb, each area has got the blue chip side and the not the so non-blue, blue chip. not so yeah. blue chip side, Aqua right? Chip. So, yeah. uh, in other words, you need to know the area in terms of, you know, which are the good streets, which are the bad streets, which ones will have the owner occupier appeal, so that you've got a larger pool of people to buy the property of you. That's the first thing you need to look at: is that when you're buying a property, there needs to be a ready aftermarket for you, so that if if the property's done its job, or if you needed to rationalise your portfolio, or if you needed to sell for whatever reason, that there are people out there that can take the property off you for a profit. And affordable is, as you say, is in the eye of the beholder, but also, the, also the area. So mm. affordable as a very black and white example might be you know, buying in the eastern suburbs of Sydney at uh, 70% of its value. Mm. Absolutely. Suddenly yeah. that becomes an affordable piece mm-hmm. for the people that are looking there. Affordable is a state of mind. It's really simple. And the way you articulate, Victor, I think was really good in that every single location has more blue chip properties and mm. not so blue chip properties Affordable in Sydney, you know, you, you speak to anyone, you read any paper, they say Sydney's unaffordable. Blanket. You yeah, know, yeah. young punters yeah. can't get in there because it's too expensive. Now, affordable in Sydney, as in if you want to get a stock three-bedroom, four-bedroom, normal sort of property in Sydney, you know, in the mortgage belt, you're dropping 700, 800K on that, right? You mm, take correct. the same money down to Tasmania, you're waterfront, yeah. you know? So it, it it's relevant, right? It's, it's, yeah. It is about relevancy, and that relevancy is consistent across absolutely everything. If you live in a location, if you live in Sydney, for example, you're probably getting a, a much better income doing the job you're doing than what you would in Tasmania. So that whole period of relativity. But what we're talking about in property investment is that you should be borderless as a property investor. So, you know, if you're a, an Adelaide-based uh, property investor, your perception towards $800,000 there versus $800,000 Sydney is going to be very different. Correct. What do you yeah. do about it? Well, you, I think you stay within your lane and that lane is really you know, between your ears and that mm. comes down to your risk mitigation, your risk profile. Where you're in life. Where you are in life, mm-hmm. what's planned for the future, but also what you can afford at that point of time. Because There's no use trying to invest in a million-dollar area because someone says there's more growth there mm-hmm. and you know, that's history. Mm. If you could even save enough to get in there, but then there's the controlling of the mortgage for the next 30 years. Yeah, and like I said before, you don't focus on just one side of the equation. Look at the cash flow and the capital. A really good example of it during the mining boom was uh, people buying properties in WA, in Mm. the mining towns, right? So there there were quite a few people that uh, started bragging, and um, I suppose rightly so at that time, uh, that, you know, they bought a 
600, $700,000 home and they're pulling in $2,000 a week in rental income. But the fundamentals were not there. Um, when you take away the stimulus, when you take away the, the flash in the pan, those properties were way, way overpriced and it was tiered against the yield mm. uh, rather than the actual value of the property. And when you're chasing affordable properties and when you're chasing also yield at the same time, that's one thing that you need to look at is what's the baseline in the area? Right. In terms of a lot of people look at median pricing in an area as an example, whilst I don't agree with that, that could be a good place to start. It gives you some level of understanding of pricing in the area. And really what you want to be buying is something below what the bulk of the properties of that nature are selling in the market so that if things do turn for the worse... Uh, you've got a bit of mitigation happening. You've got a little bit of fat in the deal to be able to live and fight another, whether it is to on sale or whether it is to weather the storm, because then you can actually afford to maybe drop your rent a little bit to keep it rented throughout. Yeah, yeah very, mm. very much. How do you change your affordability footprint? Well, it depends on what your starting point is. Is it a, is it a cash flow affordability issue of uh, capital because your expenditure is you know you're eating out every night and you know, you've got a heap of personal loans and, and credit cards well mm. your, your first point of call would then be to eradicate that non-productive debt and tame your lifestyle perhaps depending on how bad you actually want it and that want it is you know in the eye of the beholder mm. from a capital point of view it's about being smart with your money leveraging what you potentially can um, yeah, selling the Bentley to get a Corolla. <laughs> yeah, whatever it may be. It all comes down to how bad you want it and what sacrifices you're willing to make to get ahead. I remember my very first property. My loan got pulled about 10 days before settlement. And so I had to sell a heap of toys just so I could raise the- I, I was going to say, well, what's, what's, what's the biggest impact to your lifestyle you've had to give up in order to be a more successful property investor? Flogging your jet ski and whatever else you had to sell as a result of it. Your polo pony- <laughs> I was just actually having this image of myself on a jet ski, but that, that, that doesn't happen. No, my, it was, um, look, I've always been fairly frugal, having been self-employed mm. practically my whole life. But the, probably the biggest sacrifice I've had to make is around a lifestyle choice, and that'd mm. be you know, the toys, yeah. essentially. it's Because if you have it, my nature denotes that you know, if I'm not saving for something, if I'm not putting my money against something, it sits as cash in a bank and that's mm. just as unproductive. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one, right? You know, it's, um, again, it's, it's very much a individual thing, how you choose to approach this whole affordability, you know, debate. And if, you know, the problem with the modern world is that people want, but most people aren't willing to, to give to get their want. Right. And we don't need to go into that. We've spoken about beforehand, but, um, you know, something does have to give if you want to be a successful property investor. And if you want that next property, you need to work out how you're going to achieve it. You know? Yeah. Mindset change. You know, how else you change your affordability position? Make more money, you know? Go well, and get a second job, drive an Uber. You do know? you know what? We, ha we actually, a client springs to mind there where they literally were working their nine to five job as an apprentice and then would do weekend work mm. to gain some more cash flow and some more capital. And then when he could get a night shift of security, he'd throw that in as well because he wanted to do whatever it took. Yeah. So it's easy. It's, it's you know, it's running your own personal balance sheet, right? Your own profit and loss even. The, the more money you make, you less to spend means you've got excess that you can use to do other stuff with. That can be a trip to Europe or it can be more money into a property investment portfolio. It's all about money management. But I think, yeah, yeah whilst, whilst the capital is one side of it in terms of this whole affordability debate, 
I think the cash flow management is probably even more so crucial. Bigger part of it. Yeah, and hence the whole balancing of a portfolio or whatever that may look like because there are so many people that we've seen and purchased properties from during you know, dire times that perhaps went to the more um, the, the more expensive properties with a lesser cash flow that found themselves in all sorts of in trouble. And we actually even see that today, even whilst the rate or the cost of money is terribly low considering or comparing it to yesteryear, I think the numbers that we're seeing within the data being the, the distress levels of- It's prob- increasing. Yeah, well, it increased, but at last, I think the July report, it came back a little bit. Mm. It's actually not telling the, the full story. You know, it's it's just a blanket approach. Or it's a blanket commentary. I'm sure if you went over to WA, you'd find there'd be a lot more distress there than there was in, in say, Brisbane. And conversely, Sydney as well. Like we know that there's pockets. It's a dislocated- we have a dislocated economy, but we also have a dislocated property market mm. uh, today. Uh, even if we just talk about Sydney, where there is pockets of distress, there's pockets of people that were to sell today because they bought in 2018, 2017, that they'd find themselves in a negative equity position. It's just that the cash flow or the cash rate, I should say, therefore their mortgage is quite low and they just hanging on. Mm. Should there well, be- It's given it false figures, really. It's, you know, it's so, very false. Yeah. And this is why when, until you actually pull back the curtain of- data and learn to understand it, learn the anomalies and the algorithms and, and everything that goes along with it, relying purely on data is actually a very dangerous piece. Yeah, I think one of the key things that we uh, we, we um, need to understand is that we're just starting to see the, see the first bits of it, right? So when you look at most people when they take out a loan, if they're going interest only, they're either going three years or five years interest only Correct. in most cases. So a lot of the people that have bought in 2017, they're just coming off the interest only and mm. they're going into principal and interest. Especially in your Sydney and Melbourne market and perhaps the Brisbane market, they are in negative equity in comparison to what the bank can give them in terms of a loan-to-value ratio at an 80% loan. So they're now, now uh, tipping into a principal and interest scenario, which they hadn't budgeted for, uh, which is part of affordability. Uh, and, and therefore, we're, we're going to start seeing a lot more of these uh, mortgage stress. Mm. Uh, and and uh, to, to, to be, to be uh, clear, even though the interest rates are at its lowest ever, there still is a lot of stress because as the interest rates have come down, people have then said, okay, now I can go one bracket up and buy this and, and leverage the money even harder. And therefore, when it comes to principal and interest, there's a lot more cash outlay, cash flow outlay, which then makes it really unaffordable for them. So if you're talking about getting into the affordable properties as such, Steve, we've uh, talked several times about designing your decade and perhaps in the next podcast or so, we may actually fully flesh it out. Mm. But really what we need to do is sit down, map out 10 years, your next 10 years, given today's climate, given today's financials that you have, given today's portfolio that you have, how does it look in 10 years? Where is it taking you? You know, Do you want that barbecue brag right to say, I own a property in Point Piper? Or do you want the barbecue brag right to say that I don't really have to work because I've got properties that pay me. That's the choice that you need to- Barbecue uh, brag, yeah. right. So I, actually, I actually like that. I there see there go. was a report- It's the name of his new book, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I see there was a report by CoreLogic the other day about, well, not sorry, not CoreLogic, that there was a different report about the measure of wealth now is becoming quickly how many properties that you own. As which is wrong. Which, which is, is wrong. very, very wrong because yeah. already we're starting to see these, the illusions of, of property and 
investing and, and just because you own a hundred front doors mm. suddenly makes you a very wealthy well, person. The question I was going to say, and I suppose to you, Victor, is this whole concept of mortgage stress is more of an owner-occupier no, not necessarily than, no. a, than yeah. a investor thing. More so the investor thing because mm. uh, with the owner-occupier, your rates, if you look at your interest rates, they're a lot lower than your investment rates at the moment. So historically in Australia, when initially, um, when I well, when, when you look at the 1990s, the investment rates were higher than your own occupied rates. Mm. Then things changed and it actually became on par. So whether it was an investment loan or whether it was an own occupied loan, you got same. the same route. Right? Yeah. But now we've done the, the 180 again, where if it's an investment loan, it is a few basis points to one full basis point higher mm. uh, than, than your own occupied. So as an example, give, give you um, a tangible example. Anyone that's going to buy a property that's own occupied, you'd get loans at 2.99, 2.5 fixed. That's crazy. Yeah? Principal interest, mm. obviously. But if you if you wanted a, um, a same same property as an investment, it starts with a high three. Mm. So th- there's almost a one percent. If you can get there. it, yeah. If you mm. can get it as well. So um, that's what we need to keep in mind uh, in terms of how the money is flowing in the investment arena at the moment, and and and, and um, make sure you do your sums accordingly. Yeah, and I think furthermore from that, and if and tying that into the whole designer decade, but also with the whole you know what's deemed as affordable, not just in terms of price, but in terms of your own unique circumstance. Mm-hmm. When you look at this next two to three years scenario, I think that's when the rubber's going to hit the road because Absolutely. there are so many people that, as you say, will be coming into a principal and interest scenario. And even whilst they may give themselves some comfort saying, well, the, you know, we're in for a long environment of, of low interest rates, I don't think anybody can hang their hat on that because we've seen so many times that people will flip their commentary quite quickly. Mm-hmm. It wasn't too long ago and I'm one of them that I was fixing some of my rates at 4.79 for five years because we'd never seen that. We'd just come off a six and a half. Correct, and there was every indication that rates were going to continue to climb. The worm had turned, so to speak, and it was literally 12 months later that because of the dislocated economy that rates were dropping quite quickly. So Mm. conversely, though, people thinking that we're going to be in a long cycle of low interest rates, I don't think any economist, any banker, nor the RBA for that matter, can really predict what's going to happen in 12 months' time, let alone two years, True. 30 years and, and or whatever And this will be. change your, your affordability position. That's right? my like, point. Yep. Ab- absolutely connects back in with it. And you said, Victor, I want to pick up on is, um, you know, this need for balancing properties and, mm-hmm. and that balance might be well, an, a more affordable property, which might be yielding better versus a more blue chip property, mm-hmm. which doesn't yield as good, but the capital growth yes. percent. So it's sort of pigeon pairing, right? That's true. Allows you, yeah. allows you to balance things out. The question is, when do you need to start balancing your portfolio? Do you got to balance it from the first property that Day you one. buy? Day one. So and, I think that's an yeah. important point because what happens is that a lot of people, a lot of investors' first property is the only property there. Mm-hmm. Get, and there's only a handful of people get to two properties. And then you're talking very, very small percentage points of people that get beyond that. You know, mm-hmm. when you start talking about people with six or seven properties about that being a measure of wealth today, it, it is a decimal point. I think there's only 20,000 Australians. 23,000. 23,000 Australians own more than six. six that's right. 23,000. Mm-hmm. That's, that's less than people that would go to a Parramatta football game, right? <laughs> but you think about it, right? <laughs> no, I, went out, I went out the bank stadium, oh, the bank West Stadium at Parra, the, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, probably a month or so ago. And I, I sat there, I think it holds maybe 30,000, 30, yeah. And I went, 
this thing had about 25,000 people. And I said, this is how many people in Australia of 25 million own more than six. And they're all Parramatta supporters? They're all Parramatta supporters. (laughs) (laughs) Easy. Um, So it's a very, very small amount. So this whole- so I'd like to think that those people, six or more, have they're doing something different. Portfolios. They're doing something different. Yeah. So, so you're saying you've got to balance your portfolio from the first property. From the first property. So it just just to put it really in perspective, right? So people, a uh, number of investors that own one property only, is around circa 1.8 million. So that's not a whole lot when you compare it to 23,000 only own six plus. Obviously, they're doing something different. So to start off, obviously, we need to start off with a plan. And the plan, as, as I alluded, you know, it, it, it needs to be a 10-year plan. And then you reverse design engineer. Design your decade. Yeah, design a decade. And you reverse engineer to your first 90 days. What's the first 90 day look like? And what does the next 90 day look like? So you're looking at it from a quarterly point of view as well. Whether it is not to buy this quarter or, or this whole year, it needs to be mapped out because you are then really looking at it from what's happening in your life, what's happening in that immediate economy and with the properties that you've already bought, whether you are able to do something with it. So uh, holding it in, in silos. So in other words, have a nest of properties where they self-support each other along with some money being chipped in from you. It doesn't happen from day dot. You do need to build up towards it, right? So that's where the planning comes in. Which is why that whole um, strategy, if you will, beforehand mm. pays dividends. And it's not just a strategy around the property. It's a strategy around your your budget. That's right. How much can you afford? Mm. One of the main questions we ask is, you know, what is the what is the shortfall you can afford? afford? Yeah. And the shortfall for those who perhaps haven't listened to us before is literally the difference between all income and expenditure pre-tax dollars. And we classify that into a per property, but also into a portfolio base Mm -hmm. because there's no use saying, well, I can only afford out of my household budget, a hundred dollars a week pre-tax cash flow. Yet you want to buy a million dollar home with a $300 negative cash flow. Correct. So this would have the very best. Mm -hmm. So this ties back in to the whole affordability piece. It's affordability, not necessarily based on the property type, but on your own unique circumstance, not just now, but what it looks like next year and in five mm-hmm. years' time. I don't suggest that you can budget over the next 40 years because no, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. There's too many inconsistencies, but it's more about the immediate mm. sacrifices, if you will, or the adjustments that you need to make. Yeah, I think we can um, really quarantine this down to just the one thing. Affordability is with the person, not the property. 100%. And for me, it's more around, I know the growth will come in the fundamentally mm. correct areas. So it's more about the cash flow management yep. for me, as yep. opposed to, well, I'll just have the one property in, you know, Woolsey Road Point Piper mm-hmm. that you know, will make me a million dollars over the next five years. The stress between my ears, if I was a first time investor trying to control that property and its mortgage with too many what ifs around, um, you know, the biggest expenses being the mortgage just would not pair well with my personality mm, yeah. type. Well, if you look at, um, and this is something that's happening in real life right now, and I've seen that with a lot of people I talk to, a lot of investors I talk to, because they don't have the greater vision, the larger vision, the end vision. So a lot of people have bought properties in Brisbane, as an example. And across Australia, we have gone backwards because finance was really hard. So for every 100 people that wanted to invest or wanted to buy, only 30 could. So obviously, uh, the pricing comes backwards. Uh, a no lot of pressure there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. a, a lot of people that have bought in Brisbane, seeing no growth in inverted commas, have decided to offload their property because they're only looking at one side of the equation to begin with and they're being impatient and they don't have a cleaner vision to say that, okay, this is what this particular property is going to do in my portfolio. And they're selling 
at the worst time possible because we're pretty much almost ready for a bounce back up, assume, assuming that uh, you know several factors play in. And therefore, they've done all the heavy lifting and they're offloading the property and they're actually making a small loss when they're offloading. So the idea is that you need to be patient and perhaps that property then, and usually Brisbane properties are your cash flow properties because they give you your higher yields in most cases, that property could be your cash flow property and you pigeon pay it with a high growth property or a property with better growth prospects in the immediate future. So your perhaps your Sydney or your Melbourne property as an example and wait for the growth and the cash flow to happen. So you need to be patient when you're investing as well, just because someone's in the last cycle, because we've already gone through one cycle right mm-hmm. now, just because someone through the last cycle has made a mozza because they've, they've invested in a different area, doesn't mean it's pertinent to you. You need to bring it back to your own person. And that's my fear. You just mentioned something that really sort of resonates with me around cycles and how many that you've been through. And I think there's a big difference between opinion and advice. And Mm -hmm. and what I actually mean by that is it's very, and this probably maybe ties in with um, being on the board of PIPA and and regulation and what have you. It really resonates with me when I see a lot of commentators out there that perhaps giving advice brackets opinion on perhaps strategy and investing when they've never experienced a property cycle. Mm -hmm. They're still in their current, this current property cycle. So you know, buyer beware. I suppose that's my little bit of a rant. Well, it's good that you give us a bit of a rant because we're not seeing enough of them lately, Steve. You used to be really good at it. You, it's like you've lost your passion, mate. you gotta go and, <laughs> got to go and find it somewhere, you know. <laughs> and, and, and the reason why I say that is that you sort of said, oh, you've never listened to this podcast before. And, and if that is you, uh, thanks for finding us. We do enjoy uh, having these conversations around property. And I think uh, hats off to, to you guys, uh, Victor and Steve, around sharing what is – you know, many, many years of experience doing this sort of stuff. And uh, I think we're fortunate in Australia that we have people like yourselves, you know, passionate professionals that work within a property who are are happy to share these insights and hopefully make more informed uh, decisions. And, you know, before we come in here, we're having a chat about, you know, some of the feedback we get on the show. And um, and I'm always getting people chatting to me sort of offline about this, as are you. But one thing that if you are listening to this and you like what we're doing, if you can keep those reviews coming on iTunes or wherever you do listen to uh, this podcast, uh, we do get a real kick out of it. It's nice to know we are resonating. Um, and look, we're just trying to grow out this community as well. And a couple of shout outs. I think um, recent one from Table 41. We love listening to the team uh, who are always loaded with great advice. We are able to take something out of each episode, keep up the great work. So thanks for those reviews. And there's a whole bunch of other ones uh, sitting there. So we do read them. We do get a real kick out of them. And uh, if you do keep them coming, that'll be really handy. Now, Victor, I want to move to our question of the month and if we haven't got to your question yet I do apologise and I know we've said that we will do some more Q&A episodes and I think there's time to actually probably do that Mm -hmm. uh, Victor but I've pulled one out from the whole list that we've got which I thought is sort of connected with today's conversation around affordability because you know to your point Steve there is a mechanism of how your affordability will change over time you can either make more money or you can reduce your cost, right? And this is just works with everything. So this is from Judy M. And Judy M saying, um, I'm coming off uh, variable rates for two of my mortgages over the next six months. Should I go through the process of putting a whole new finance application in or should I just switch to a principal and interest and make my life easy? What do you reckon? Because, you know, if you want to go back to a, uh, uh, what do you call it? A, I've lost the word. 
interest this, only. This is a first. Yeah. Is the camera rolling? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to go back to interest only rather than principal and interest, you've got to submit a whole new application. They just don't. Back in Correct. the day, they used to just go, I'll extend another five, yeah, yeah, five yeah, years yeah. or three years. So now you've got to resubmit the loan. Is it worth the hard work? Is that, look, without really knowing the circumstances, but mm. I'll, I'll speak generally about the clients that we deal with on yeah. a daily basis. I think it really depends on your cash flow scenario combined with what the plan is because, I mean, let's be real and we've mentioned it a hundred times, is that money has never been so cheap and especially on that P&I rate. So if you are diligent with your money and there's surplus cash flow, I wouldn't be opposed to going P&I to smash down the mortgage as quick so as make you some can. Hay. Like actually create some equity through paying down the debt as Correct. well as hopefully getting an upward yeah. value. Yeah. If, however... And that would be on my, and I'm just going to assume here, principal place of residence. If, however, it was an investment or an investment property, I would much rather an offset facility and I would really, really shop around. And as long as there's not too much of a, a rate difference between the P&I rate mm-hmm. versus a really good interest only rate, I'd be going that path. I'd be parking the money in the offset, as I said, because I can then give myself some form or degree of liquidity within each of those assets because liquidity at the end of the day is where the gold lies. And in terms of fixing, I don't know if I'd be fixing yet. Okay. Really depends on the property type, what its plan is. If I plan to develop it, build a secondary income, I certainly wouldn't be fixing it because I want the ability to be able to go to a different lender. But also I'm waiting personally to see what the next RBA meeting gives well, they're us- talking about it could- Keep going south, right? Well, if they, there's you know there's rumor and there's talk that it, you know could go into a negative mm-hmm. rate environment, I, mm. I don't see that, and I just think we're a little different from perhaps some of the economies of the other economies around the world. We can't go we're getting negative. No, before. and you know at the end of the day, you know we're already seeing APRA make some commentary around about listen, we we'll, we will pull that lever again and and make lending a little well, hard. APRA want the banks. Well, APRA want the banks to start lending. Right, but they you do. Know. But they're also very close on watching, you know, the whole you know, debt to income ratios and with the RBA you know, overlay in terms of another asset mm. bubble. Um, there's so many pieces to this pie to be able for anyone to be able to give a clear indication on what to do. So I would rather have the flexibility of a variable rate until I get some more, you know, guidance, perhaps, mm. or, or and, whatever. And, it and so, sorry, Vic. Sorry if I um I confused people there uh, from what GDM. So I said a variable rate when I was saying. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that you also need to be mindful of is have a look at what it reverts to. So if I take an example in my own portfolio with a bank with blue logo. A big four bank? A big four bank uh, with yeah. a blue logo. Yes. Um, so I went from a interest only fixed and it, it rolled over to variable. But the variable rate is the standard variable rate, not mm. the discounted variable rate, not the word standard. Mm. Most standard variable rates start with a five in front of it. So my loans rolled from an interest only fixed, uh, which was fixed at, uh, from memory, four and a half. Yes, Steve, I was one of those two that fixed mm-hmm. at four and a half. Makes me feel so much better. <laughs> <laughs> it's rolled onto 5.29, mm-hmm. right? Principal and interest. So not only am I going into a higher interest rate, I'm also paying principal and interest as well. So if I'm starting with a higher base in terms of the interest rate, every cut that I get, I'm still so much behind what the general public is. And also if their interest rate rises, I'm much higher on the base of my interest rates would would, would be a lot more higher than yeah, what's comparable. Four or five sets behind. Yeah, absolutely. So it may be well worth the pain 
to actually shop it around using a good broker to see what the best rate you could get. Really, you know, if you've got a larger portfolio, your rate usually would have a four in front of it, mm. low fours. If you don't have such a large portfolio, you're doing pretty poorly if you don't have a three in front of it. And this is another, this is another um, affordability um, I was just thinking that. To yeah. get back in because the bigger the portfolio is, the, the worse interest rate yeah, you get. So the more, the more non-balanced, yeah. it's such a yeah. word yeah. that it mm-hmm. is, going back to the whole million dollar property yeah. with low cash flow and really not keeping an eye on the ball, mm. and you roll over into a 5.24. Mm. Uh, so so you, you, you wealthy people with massive portfolios then uh, are paying more Us than- Us poor people, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the measure. I know you're like bragging at barbecues, just, Victor. Just, yeah. yeah, barbecue warrior. Look, I think just, and, and one final thing, if mm. I can sort of look at my, the way that I manage money for myself, the stress of rotating cash flow versus the contentment of accrual mm. for me is far- better, lets me sleep at night. And what I mean by that is always be liquid. So if I can mm-hmm. have an offset rather than being tied into a P&I loan, no matter how cheap it is, for me, gives me the ability to be able to manage my cash flow and, and utilise it better. So yeah. you can buy toys whenever you need to buy them. I, st- I don't do that. Do you, I, I reckon you sit there. I just had this this view of you sitting around your kitchen table with your trading post, flicking through it, going, uh, you know, like like the castle, you know. No, look. Oh, there's a 2027 <laughs> jet ski here. It's, uh, no, do you <laughs> know who's dreaming? Do you, do you, <laughs> <laughs> lately, the flavour of the month for me is- You'd always be buying something stupid, no doubt. Well, I love a bargain. It's in my nature, I suppose. That's what I'm a buyer's agent yeah. to begin with is I love negotiating. So not that it's anything to do with the podcast, but maybe around value. At the moment, I'm just hunting down some bobcats. So anyone out there that's got a cheap bobcat. What's it, what, what, do you, what do you mean by cheap bobcat? So you know well, why see, you know why affordable. he's buying with a V8 in it. No, you know why he's buying the Bobcat, right? That? You know that vision of Uncle Scrooge where there's money and all that. Yeah, so yeah. That, that's what he's, he's going to use. His vault. Yeah, that's right. He's, he's building his <laughs> no, vault. Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm doomsday prepping. <laughs> Would surprise me if you were a doomsday prepper. Yeah. Not, yeah, not at all. Bu- you know, a bug out bag sitting there by the front door, ready to go. Do you know? I cannot. I don't, I don't buy into that. I cannot. Like some people would say or suggest that ABC Radio, ABC Television is is extremely depressing. I'm one of those people, I cannot listen to it. I'm more of a person that, you know, tell me about the good news. You know, hang around with vibrant people. That's why you come to the podcast, hang out with me, right? Yeah, <laughs> excluding, excluding current company. Trying to shake off Victor, you know, with his doomsday merchant sitting there talking about affordability. <laughs> hey, listen, before we, before we do, because we are a bit over time, a couple of podcasts ago, we, we mentioned that we were happy to share our portfolio tracker. Um, yes. And we got... You got smashed, 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 smashed. Um, But just a quick shout out to say thank you for all those that did download it. But also if for some reason you didn't get it because there were like hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of requests and you didn't get it, just email that same email address. I think it was- Questions uh, at Right Property Questions at Right Property Group. And uh, I think it's Kate is handling that. She'll she'll get onto it and we do apologise. The other thing is on Wednesday, the 16th of October at 7.30 p.m., we'll be doing or holding a webinar. So you'll start to see some information on that. Maybe go to our website and pre-register because we do have limited times. What's your webinar about? It's actually around about strategy, Mm. coincidentally a little bit around this topic as well, around the strategies that we have found to work in any market and also what we believe to be the most dangerous. I've seen you guys speak and, and how you do that, so I'd, I'd recommend that you get along to that. Thank you. Know, you. It sounds uh, And speaking of that, mm. the one, the events that you've 
come and listen to. For those that are down on Melbourne or in Melbourne, we're having what we call one of our right on track or open forum writings. Right on track, R-I-G-H-T, on track. No, Who R- thought of that? R-O-T. Right, right, R-I-T-E. No, I don't know. How it came, How did it come about? Uh, well, uh, it was to this keep is, people what, on 15 track. 15 years yeah, 15 ago, years we've been doing ago, yeah. these right on open yeah. forums. Yeah, like a long time we've been doing You've been them. Doing for 15 years. Yep. Yeah. Unbelievable amount of time. Well, it's, I, I would have thought you'd run out of material, but you just keep plugging away. No. Because, no, well, it's an open- <laughs> We managed to do it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Same stuff every day. No, but it's it's more of an open forum because we encourage people to come along, ask the questions and-, and That's a good point, Steve. So when you're writing into questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au, send us a question. Absolutely. Absolutely. Know, it's an open forum. It shouldn't be one way- one way conversation with us just no, talking. No, 100%. So that's um, on Thursday, the 10th of October, down in Melbourne. Come to the website and you'll see where. What's and the website, what Vic? If you, there's is. a lot of information there people got to remember. So rightpropertygroup.com.au or just reach out to us on our socials. All right, cool. All right. I think we've done pretty well around affordability. I think we have. Save your money. Myth. Stop spending so much. Myth busted. Well, what is affordability? <laughs> That's why it was always going to be busted. Right? <laughs> well, there is affordability. It's just what's right for you. But uh, thanks for coming on, gents. I, I do enjoy the conversation and the uh, and the discussion. It's always a highlight to get together and, and have these chats. And as I mentioned before, and if you've just found us, go and check it out, whether you want to look at on rightpropertygroup.com.au or if, you've, if you're in iTunes and that's how you get all your info, just put into the search field, Investing Insights with the Right Property Group. And there is, I don't know, we're probably- Three seasons worth. Three seasons worth. So we must be, what do we do for our 50th episode? I want something fancy for that. Have we already cracked 50th? it? 50th. already yeah. past it. No, okay. we've we'll we three episodes, so it's not like 12. So yep. I reckon you throw a party. Okay. Can you, you pay for it? straight away? Yeah, you pay for yeah. it all. Yeah. Victor will bring the carver. Yeah, Have you had that? Carver's oh, more okay, expensive right. than the alcohol. Is it really? Yeah, it is really. Isn't it illegal? No. No? No. no. Should it be? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Carver shouldn't be illegal. Anyway, thanks, guys. <laughs> Enjoy the chat. You get on the car, but I don't know why. Uh, remember, remember those couple of things, all that stuff that Steve said, go and check it out. Um, rightpropertygroup.com.au is the best place to find that. So we're talking Sydney and Melbourne, two different dates uh, We're talking October. about now the webinar, which is the 16th of October, 7.30 p.m., and Melbourne Open Forum, so it's a live scenario on the 10th of October. All right, cool. Go and do that. We'll be back again next month. Until then, bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs, and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property, or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.